I'm just going to go live early, a minute early. So I have to be like the special preview. As soon as I can see people there. G'day, Wayne. Morning. Morning, where are you? Nils. Nils is in Denmark. I'm coming back to Denmark. Coming back to Denmark in December. Uh, Ilya? Ilya? Frankel? Apologies if I've mispronounced that or butchered that. Gee, it's nice to be home. It's nice to be back with like lights that work. Is my camera crooked? Was it like that when I went away? Lights that work. Sound that's good. <laughs> I hope. Levels are good. Sunshine. We're out walking today just before we did this. We uh, went out, walked down to uh, the local area, had a nice beer in the sun. And Charlotte was saying uh, it was, it was uh, I think, 19 degrees Celsius. She was saying it's actually warmer here at the moment in the middle of winter than what it is in Norway. So there you go. Trady Trev, who he says yes plus. I'm going to assume that's for the uh, the, the sound. <laughs> well, either that or it's a pronunciation. I don't know. Rohit is uh, in India where it is still morning. Must be only just still morning in India. So, look, I listed a bunch of stuff today and my my logic in what I chose to talk about today was um, it's been a bit of a blur the last week because we got back from travel, which I'll talk about in a moment. And I didn't – well, actually, I did a lot of stuff, but a lot of it was like catching up from the travel stuff. Let me just read back through my tweet thread of the week and see what sort of sounds interesting. But I will start where I normally start with the sponsor. Collide is this week's sponsor again. Massive thanks to Collide. They've been a, a, a very uh, – a very loyal sponsor lately, so I really appreciate that. Collide can help you nail third-party audits, which is important. They're not fun. <laughs> third-party audits. We've been through that before back in corporate life. Collide can help you nail third-party audits and internal compliance goals with endpoint security for your entire fleet. Learn more here. Link off to the folks in Collide. Compliance goals. <sighs> I don't think anyone ever sort of sets out and goes, this is going to be real good fun when we have audits and compliance people and things like that, but they are a necessity. Set compliance goals, employees, make them happen, help employees, help security. Uh, look at that. And there's a little one password thing there as well. That's nice. That's nice. I like seeing all my friends together. So go and check out Collide. They've been awesome in supporting me to do what I do, uh, which I, I guess has been traveling around doing things, including a bunch of cyber things. Obviously, when I was away, I did the, the NDC stuff. I did the Acer meetup in Tasmania as well. When's the next thing I'm doing? It actually feels like it's going to be a while away. Uh, it is go to Copenhagen in October. Jeez, I'll be married <laughs> by then, That's, which is getting very, very close. Two months and two days close. I think I'm organized. And then NDC in Sydney just after that as well. Uh, look, there are other things on the radar as well, just some stuff that uh, I can't talk about yet, but we'll talk about it in a little bit. Rohit says it's afternoon. Well, you said GM. Isn't it GM good morning? Anyway, maybe you're confused. Maybe I'm confused. I don't know. Uh, yeah, being home again. So we we finished the Tasmania stuff. I came from you from a, a hotel in Hobart uh last time i think i did actually did it saturday morning i was a little bit late and the following day on sunday we jumped on a plane and flew back to to brisbane and then down to the gold coast so yeah that's uh that's done that's that travel done we now have 
several weeks <laughs> before there's more, which is short and local and personal, and I'll probably talk about that when we do it later on. I'll tweet some photos or something. Uh, but look, that, that was a really good trip, but it's, it is so nice to, to want to come home. Uh, not because it was a bad trip or anything, it was an awesome trip, but to just want to come home to somewhere like this. I tweeted a photo during the week. This is going to start getting me on my, my tweet thread now. Tweeted a photo during the week of uh, of like the sunrise here. And, you know, like we normally get up pretty early anyway. I'll get up lately, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, which probably sounds crazy to some people. We're going to bed pretty early, 9 p.m.-ish, something like that. Was that seven and a half hours? Five, yeah, it's proper night's sleep anywho get up see the sunrise uh yeah and it looked awesome i'm just looking at the tweet thread now it's so nice it's so nice other things la post mobile which uh on this bastille day week which apparently and i only know it's bastille day because our daughter had to wear French stuff yesterday. Apparently the French don't call it Bastille Day uh, and they will be confused if you say Bastille Day. And I only know this because I Googled it. (laughs) So that when I tweeted a photo of the 3D printed Eiffel Tower in red, white and blue, I could say something, which I won't even try and pronounce, uh, which didn't make me look stupid. I will look stupid if I try and pronounce that in French. So uh, anyway, back on the breach. Le Post Mobile. So um, unfortunately for, uh, for Le Post... They got ransomware. Uh, they got ransomware by Lockbit. Seems to have happened earlier this month. All their data got dumped. 533,000 customer email addresses also had names, physical addresses, phone numbers, dates of birth, gender. Not entirely sure why Telco needs dates of birth. Maybe it's know your customer sort of stuff. Genders. How does that factor into your phone? Like, why do you need to know that? And look, for the most part, gender is predictable if you have a name, if not some other person identifiable information. But it's, it's, it's just like it's unnecessary information. And, you know, why, why would you want to share that? I don't know. Anywho, that's in there. Banking info. And I was a little bit cautious the way I put that because I'm looking at CSV files and column headings that are in French. And I've literally just like copied all the column headings and I've dumped them into translate.google.com. Uh, so, hey, what do these mean? And a bunch of them were, uh, I think there's some sorting codes, actual bank account numbers and, and the bank themselves. But uh, that doesn't look real good. 41% of those were already in Have I Been Pwned, which, um, which is a little bit low, but... A French telco is yeah, maybe a little bit more niche than a massive Silicon Valley, you know, modern tech company or something like that. Anyway, not great for them. Now, I wonder if they're still offline, actually, because they were still offline like 10 days after their incident. Le Post Mobile. What's the URL? Let's see if they're back. Uh, let's just <laughs> search for that company alone. Uh, well, it's not good. The first result is like, a crunch-based story. Actually, that's no, not a bad one. Crunch-based story about funding. Uh, the next one is them. Are they back? Nope. It all started in French and now it's gone to English. Dear customer, bracket, ers. <laughs> what if there are two people sitting here reading at the same time? The administrative and management services of La Poste Mobile fell victim on Monday, July 4, to a malicious ransomware-type virus. Ransomware type? 
Okay. As soon as we became aware of this incident, we took the necessary protective measures by immediately suspending the computer systems concerned. And then there's spits and bolts. It's important. The protective action has led us to temporarily close our website and our customer area. We are, of course, sorry that this may lead to embarrassment for a few days in your relationship with La Post Mobile. Is this a translation thing? Some of this sounds a little bit weird. Um, Steve is there. Bonjour. From uh, Beaujolais, where it's 35 Celsius again. Well, that's just normal, right? I know people in Europe like it's a heat wave, it's a heat wave because it's like 30-something. That seems fine. Anywho, back here. LIT teams. Teams, not just one. Teams are currently diagnosing the situation. Uh, Diagnosis, you got ransomed. Our first analysis and analyzers. There's definitely a... How did they translate this? Our first analyzer, which is weird, because A-N-A-L-Y-Z, which is immediately American, E-S. I think you mean analysis. Our first analyzers established that our servers essential to operation of your mobile line have been well protected. <laughs> On the other hand, this is not me paraphrasing. I've got to read it again. This is, I'll read the whole thing because it's quite funny. Well, other than getting ransomed. Our IT teams are currently diagnosing the situation. Our first analyzers established that our servers essential to the operation of your mobile line have been well protected. On the other hand, it is possible that files present in the computers of LaPost Mobile employees have been affected. Some of them may contain personal data. I shouldn't laugh at getting ransomed. It's, it's just, and it's, it's, this is not like me laughing at the cultural nuances as well, because they probably speak a lot more languages than I do. But it's just a very strangely worded thing. Your mobile line have been well protected. On the other hand, <laughs> so, the Post Mobile invites its customers to be vigilant. Invites them to be vigilant, in particular by monitoring any attempts at phishing and or identity theft, and will, of course, keep them informed of the lessons learned from the ongoing expert appraisals. I think what I find a bit weird with this, and there's a little bit more here, but what I find weird with it is by now, like your data is circulating on public forums, uh, a lot bit like other ransomware crews literally stand up dark web sites and they they publish their data there. It's... uh, we seem to be beyond some of the speculation that is here. For any additional information concerning personal data in connection with this event, you can contact the Post Telecom customer service at the following address. Uh, final line, a little bit of other contact stuff. Our teams are fully committed to resolving this situation as quickly as possible. Not so quick. Not so quick. Martin says, since it's so hot currently, I thought you said it was only 35. How do people work outside in countries where it's always like 35 degrees? I'm not able to do any work outside currently while sun is there. Um, so, how do they do it in Australia? Uh, it's a good question. I don't really work out. It's normally when I'm outside, I'm laying in the pool when it's like 35 degrees. Um, I, I think there's, a, there's a, a certain amount of just acclimatizing to it and being used to it. There's obviously the way you dress, um, you know, certainly in, in Australia, since you're a little kid, you're always told, you know, slip, slop, slap, you got to slip on a shirt, slap on a hat, maybe we got it around the wrong way, and slop on some sunscreen. Anyway, you've got to sort of dress accordingly. So uh, it'd be very rare in Australia, certainly in summer, that I would go 
outside for very long without a hat. Uh, normally a peaked hat. You should have one of the ones that's sort of the wide brim stuff just to keep the sun off you. So there's that. Um, then other parts of the world, I mean, places obviously like like Spain, they'll have siestas and then the afternoon will be a bit of a write-off and then they'll get up and they'll do stuff later on. So I guess they just adapt. Trady Trev says, try climbing around in ceiling spaces in the middle of summer. <laughs> yeah, it can get very hot. Try, uh, try walking into my internal cupboard, which was the wine cupboard until I put the server rack in there in the middle of summer and it's like 30-something degrees in there, which is why I have a wine fridge in my server room. Go figure. I'd really like to be able to air condition that, actually. It would help. Next thing, Mangatoon breach cover-up I've written here because this, uh, this didn't look good. So I spoke about Mangatoon last week, 23 million email addresses. I said Hong Kong-based. Someone has suggested that maybe there's more mainland China. Not sure how much difference that makes these days in terms of the way people deal with data breaches there. Um, but here's the, where's the story of Mangatoon. It doesn't look good for Mangatoon. It looks very, very cover-up. Uh, where was it? That was that one. That was that one. I'm going to come back and talk about that one. Uh, oh, here we go. <sighs> no, <laughs> that's different. That's Deakin University. Ah, uh, you know, I'll just Google it. Google it. I'll Google it on Twitter. Try and Mangatoon, and I'll find the story. And I think I've found this one uh, due to it popping up in my Google alerts. Here we go. Bleeping Computer here says uh, it was ES, Elasticsearch. They had credentials on it, but it was just password. They changed the credentials after I emailed them. This is obviously someone referring to the breach. They changed the passwords after I emailed them, telling them, but they never notified their customers and never replied. Now, I've seen this happen multiple times where someone has sent me data and they said, we found this data. Let's not worry about how they got it. I try not to ask those questions. Found these data. I contacted the organization involved. They never replied, but the shitty password they had or the no password at all changed or, or something like that. So obviously something has been done in response to an external unauthorized third party, third party saying you guys have misconfigured your cloud things. Something's changed so that they know, they know someone else has this data and then they just lock it down and they're like, you know, Homer Simpson backing into the bushes. They just kind of like disappear and try and forget that it doesn't exist. Uh, hard to do that when there's 23 million more records in Have I Been Pwned and the media picks it up and they talk about this stuff. It's just, it's just shitty. Now, I do wonder, <laughs> I was going to say for... My lucrative Chinese audience out there, if you're on the uh, on the Google asset listening to this now, <laughs> chime in and comment. I do wonder how much of it is a cultural difference. I find that that, that does tend to be different in China. Uh, I, I would say in Asia in general, in China in particular, and I have various theories about that from my, my time living and working in Asia. Uh, I spoke to uh, a, I won't say who it is, but a, a major news outlet today about the Shanghai Police Department thing, which we discussed last week uh, in the video. And this journo had, had mentioned that apparently uh, the Chinese government is uh, has called in Alibaba executives to have a discussion. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be called in by the Chinese government to have a discussion after something like this about the incident. And, and I said to this journo, I said, look, um, 
has has the Shanghai police made a statement on this yet? A public statement, because you've got uh, allegedly the world's largest ever data breach, and normally what happens after a data breach is a statement is made, and it might be like. Uh, we reject this, nothing has happened, or we're investigating, or the Russians did it, or, you know, like there'll be something said. But still, with this Shanghai Police Department thing, it's like nobody has made an official statement at all. And again, I think it might be a bit of a cultural thing, but it's just, it's it's shitty, because you've got a huge number of people there with very personal data, and, and even though there's the culture and the barrier and the Great Firewall of China and everything like that, if if the complete corpus of those impacted were contacted, at least one of those people would have spoken to the media and uh, and probably told them what had happened. Uh, back on the weather in the comments here. Martin says, uh, moving to morning, evening certainly helped. It is hotter at some times of day than others. Lance says, many tradies in Australia start outdoor work very early in the mornings, finish before heat of the afternoon, then go to the pub and drink a long neck on the way home. <laughs> Uh, for those of you in other parts of the world, a long neck is a large bottle of beer. The early thing, it does seem to be a very tradey thing. Now, mind you, I find that's uh, that's a tradey thing all year round. I mean, it was about a year ago we had a lot of work done here, and this was in winter. Uh, and you see it, right? Like, you, you'd be out there, you know, we go for a walk at 5 o'clock in the morning or something, there's a lot of tradey vehicles out there at that time of day. So just, just maybe it's partly because of the weather. Michelangelo says, it's not only the case for data breaches, but also... When you request how an organisation obtain your contact details if you never heard of the heard of the company before, I, look, I I just get to the point with that where it's <laughs> don't even bother because you just get silence. I was very surprised actually that Sixth, the car rental company, actually sent me a copy of my data after I requested it after their breach because um, they, they I was in the breach apparently, and I went to them and said. Uh, I'm upset about this. Could you please send me a copy of my data? And and they said, oh, here's the, it, basically, here was the metadata. So here are the classes of data that were exposed. And I was like, no, 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 no. I want my actual data. And they did send it to me. So kudos to them for doing that. I think everyone should have to do that. Shady Trezor, yeah, I do like my beers, having one now. Uh, yep, sounds very nice <laughs> on a Friday afternoon as I sit here and drink my water as I try and recover from, like, nearly four weeks of, of living well. Hmm. Next thing I'll put in here, because, again, I was just sort of flicking back through my tweets. What did I think was interesting? Uh, and I said, uh, presenting like a pro with uh, seconds. So someone had, um, someone actually tweeted me, uh, Franz, Franz Litzen. Who's Franz? I can take a guess with a name like that. Uh, he is, doesn't say. <laughs> CTO Caesar Network Bits of Code UK. Maybe he's in the UK. He said, finished my timing sheet for my talk for .NET Oxford tonight. Best tip ever from Troy Hunt was to have a timing sheet. So, so what I used to do is let's say I'm going to do, let's say I've got an hour to do a talk. And I, I honed this skill, particularly with the NDC conferences. I have an hour to do a talk. Uh, I want to talk for 50 minutes so I can do Q&A for 10 minutes. Now, also very often... An organisation or a conference will go, no, no, like just just talk. You've got exactly fifty minutes, and the timing's really important from the conference organisers' perspective because, and I guess living with the conference organiser, I hear this a bit, but you know they've got to shuffle people out of the room, get them to the next room, get the speaker and get them ready to talk. And if if you don't have all of this ticking along pretty well, it just pushes all their timing out. 
The timing's also important for you as a speaker because if you've got 50 minutes, you do not want to be getting to like 35 minutes and then you're like, oh, shit, like I'm, I'm, I'm finished and everyone's just sitting around going, is, is that it? You also don't want to get to 45 minutes and go, I've got like so much content left and then you're rushing. So what I used to do is I would take that 50-minute talk and there's always logical sections of the talk. You know, it is a story, a beginning, middle and end kind of stuff. Uh, and I'd go, okay, I'm going to break that 50-minute talk for argument's sake down into five parts of 10 minutes. Now, that was never that equal. It would be like, I'm going to talk about the sequel injection stuff here and that's going to be like seven and a half minutes. Uh, and then I'm going to talk about the DDoS stuff and that's going to be 10 minutes. And I knew how long it would be because I'd rehearse it. I'd like literally be here in this office and I'd rehearse it and I'd have my timer. So then I would go to Microsoft Word and I'd create a table and I'd just put the names of the sections and how long each one was and where I expected to be at the time. And I'd put that sheet on the lectern and I'd put my stopwatch on the lectern. Good to go. I could just keep looking at them. Is what Franz was talking about. And when people saw me, I, I'm sure I heard someone else do it or I saw someone else do it. I don't think I had this great epiphany. But every time I did that and people saw it, they'd go, wow, this is so organized. It's like, yeah, but it's really simple. And it just guarantees that every time I nail the timing. What's actually better is that there's an app called Seconds and it's made for workout timing. So if you want to go and you know, do this many minutes of one exercise and that many minutes of another exercise or something like that, then you use Seconds. And what I'd do, I've got my, uh, the last time I used this was at OzCert uh, here on the Gold Coast not long ago, is I would use seconds to plot out, as the camera focuses, to plot out every single section of my talk and how long it would take. Now, I got to the point where my talks were f predictable enough, and particularly when I do a lot of the same content, because I'm doing it for all sorts of companies all over the place, I know that I need roughly a minute, 30 seconds a slide. So then I'd just look at how many slides they are and I'd roughly work it out and then I'd put it here in the, uh, in the seconds app. So HIBP, 4 minutes, 23 seconds. Passwords, 8 minutes, 45 seconds. The FBI, 10 minutes, 12 seconds. Then open source, 2 minutes and 55 seconds. Yada, 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 yada. And it would add up exactly, in this case, to 35 minutes. And it doesn't have to be exactly that long in each section. But when you start it, so the app starts. I think I just changed my color balance by doing that. The app starts and it tells me normally, this is what it normally sounds like when you're doing a workout. Uh, I mute it, obviously, when I'm on stage. But it tells me it's counting down. It's like, okay, 4 minutes, 16, 14, yada, yada, yada. Now, I can run over in any of those sections that I just know I need to make a little bit up in the next one or vice versa. You know, maybe the audience is really loving something or get carried away. But this rocks. This rocks. It's it's the simple, simplest, simplest thing you can do. And it takes out so much pressure from your life, for those of you doing any speaking events. Jamie, Jamie's here. G'day, Jamie. Stratus says, I wanted to talk about Lord of the Rings in tape, and someone asked if it was real. I guess I did a real good job. <laughs> so much material. Mm. On the next thing. Air tagging things. And again, like this is just like randomly flicking back through my timeline. Uh, I have become 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 very fond of air tagging things. And uh, for those of you not familiar with air tags, they're the little Apple tracking tags, which are, uh, let's let's call it the size of a twenty cent piece. If you're from other parts of the world, look it up. You'll work it out. 
they're small. Um, and I've got one in my wallet, I've got one on my keys, I've got one on my backpack, one on the bag, I check in, all this sort of stuff. And they're fantastic. They're an Apple product. You need an Apple iPhone to, to work with them. I don't think they work with other devices. They beacon to every other iPhone. So it's a little bit like the old tile. In fact, uh, I have got some old tiles which I will no longer ever be using, like literally sitting here. The air tags are actually smaller than what these tiles were. And you don't have to have people running the tile up for them to work. You just have to have people with iPhones. So you end up with everyone with an iPhone becomes like a, a, a beacon, which these little tags can connect to. So a, a good example, when we flew back the other day, we checked in three bags. Two bags came out straight away, no problems. One bag, not so fast. And we're standing there for probably 15 minutes going, where's the bag? You know, like, did they, did they put it on the plane? Is it still in Hobart? Pull out the iPhone, have a look at the Find My, and it's like, no, it's here. It's just, it's behind the conveyor belt somewhere. So I've also been putting them in the cars. In fact, where is my car? The reason I was tweeting about it is because the the AMG is coming back via container, via ship, via truck, because it's just too far to drive back. And they say it's going to be a few weeks in total. And I was like, okay, well, I really want to know. So I air tagged the car and I'm able to see exactly where it is at any time. Now, it was last seen today at one at 3.34. It is 1,350 kilometres away from me, which is still in the Port of Melbourne. The freaking car has been sitting in the same place for probably four days now. Now, I don't know. I guess they just need enough vehicles to justify driving the truck or something like that. But at least I can see exactly where the car is. So I now have one in the GTR as well, <laughs> just in case, I don't know, someone steals it or something. Yes, they can be used by stalkers. A stalker can slip an air tag into their victim's bag or into their car or something like that. Uh, Apple's got some pretty cool stuff which will alert you if a tag is moving around with you. So every time I do put a new air tag somewhere, like Charlotte's phone goes off, it's like, hey, Troy's air tag is following you. Are you okay with this? Yeah, yeah, he seems fine. <laughs> That's it. Um, we have one in Ari's hat. Our 12-year-old son has a hat, which sounds like overkill, but it's one of those school hats. It's an Akubra. Aussies will know what I mean. It's a pricey hat, and the, apparently the boys continually lose them. He's at a boys' school, so, you know, they're all boys. <laughs> they lose them. And just this week in, like, the parents' WhatsApp group, there's all these parents going, oh, Timmy's lost his hat. Has anyone seen Timmy's hat? You know, Bobby's lost his hat. Anyone seen Bobby's hat? And there were, like, three, four, five different people in there going, I've lost the hat. And I'm like, as soon as Ari lo- I actually want him to lose the hat. We're discussing this. It's like, mate, lose the hat at some point just so we can get you is paired with his phone so only he can track it. You can pull out your phone and you can find your hat and you will look so smart compared to all these other kids. It's just like sewed into the band. There's a little band around it sewed in there. Can't tell. It's outside the hat. He can't feel it. I love these. I think air tags are awesome. Josh says, there's partial functionality with Android. I think it's just looking for lost tags around you though. I heard there was like an an Apple app or something. You know what we need? And of course, Apple will never do this because they're Apple. But we need an open standard for this stuff. If we had an open standard and then every organization would go, well, look, we're all our phones are going to be beacons and we're going to use this open RFC for, I don't know. It'll never happen. It's a good idea. 
Michelangelo says I use AirTags to find my bicycle at the train station bike parking. Very convenient. It's part of the reason I put it in the GTR. I'm not too worried about it getting stolen. It doesn't have sort of exposure to that kind of risk. Uh, but the number of times I've been in like one of those massive shopping center car parks and you can't find it. And the ones I normally go to are, are open air. So there's one in particular I can think of where often it's just like I'm parking, my brain's on other things. You do your shopping, you walk back and you're like, where the hell is the car? And they are very accurate down to the several meters in my experience. This is there is good and bad with all tech, but in general, these air tags are awesome. I agree with you, and I made a comment about this online the other day about the moral neutrality of technology, which uh, I was going to say it's, it's a little bit like the moral neutrality of knives, but then people start arguing that guns are morally neutral as well, and we don't want to go down that path because I think that's a crock of shit. Uh, <laughs> mostly because they're a little bit more sole purpose than I need to chop my onions and my tomatoes. The the argument about stalking, I think, is um, isn't it interesting? We never had that argument with tile. Like you never used to hear that with tile. I've been around for years and years. Maybe it's just because they weren't that good, at least in my experience. And I do think it's good that Apple has actually put effort into the anti-stalking stuff as well. Uh, but th th this is the, the challenge, right? With every new technology can be used in good ways and bad ways. I mean, how many times we had the argument about encryption? It's like, you know, oh, well, the, the terrorist or pedophile could use it. It's like, yeah, but we're using it right now to have this conversation. So, yeah, you know, it's like 99 point something percent of the time it's awesome. And then there's this sub 1% of the time where it's shitty and there are mitigating controls we can put around it. Uh, but at the end of the day, some people are still going to be shitty. Just so surely you would only have to look for the only GTR in the car park. Yeah, but it's lower than all the SUVs. That's the problem. <laughs> it is normally the only one. There is actually another black one, very similar to mine, very close by here, which is which is cool. I must meet this person, <laughs> like kindred spirits. Wi-Fi barbecue temp. People laughed at this, but it's good. It's good. Now, this is just after I've... Uh, I've been reading Miko's book about uh, how everything smart is vulnerable. But I actually like this, and I'll, I'll explain why. So here, here's the, the backstory. There's always a backstory behind the tweet. You'll find this out when I eventually get this book live. There's a backstory behind everything. So the backstory behind the Wi-Fi barbecue temp is Ari is becoming... Uh, he, he's fantastic in pretty much every way. And one of the things he's very keen on now is he's starting to cook more. And he's been watching this channel, this YouTube channel, about this this guy who does all this amazing steak. Um, I'm going to tell you what it's called now because everything we watch from this guy is just like, it's just drool-worthy. And uh, this steak guy, I'm sure I subscribed to him. This steak guy was talking about how to do one particular recipe uh, and Ari's like, I want to make this. I was like, yeah, mate, I, I would really like you to make this dinner tonight. I think that would be awesome. And he uses a nice uh, heavy uh, sort of steel pan. That's what I'm looking for. Ah, you know what I mean. Heavy base fry pan. Uh, and also thermometers in the meat. Now, I have not used them very frequently. What's the name of this guy? Steak. Um, steak something. Anyway, when I find it, I'm going to share it publicly. I'll put it on my tweets uh, timeline because it's really, really good. Also measures the temperature of the meat. So he's like, look, can you go and get uh, a nice heavy saucepan and 
and a meat thermometer. So, yeah, cool. And I had every expectation it would be something pretty bad. All I really wanted to be able to do was have a probe in the oven and then a cable out so I could outside the oven I could see the internal temp of the meat and then when I went into the into the shop the kitchen shop they had a whole bunch of different ones a lot of them have multiple probes as well and then I was talking to the guy and he's like oh people seem to like this one and it's a smart <laughs> wi-fi barbecue you know it's wi-fi because it's got the little symbol it's got four probes and I thought it's called Inkbird. I thought, all right, I'll, I'll do like very basic Googling. It was about 130 bucks in Australia, not cheap for a thermometer, but not terrible in the IoT realm. Uh, and then I thought, okay, cool, I'll, I'll give it a go, and hopefully I can plug it into Home Assistant or something as well. So why? What's the point of having a Wi-Fi connected uh, thermometer? Several things, and this is one of the epiphanies I had when I connected my washing machine. True story. I didn't go out to buy a Wi-Fi connected washing machine, but when I saw it broadcasting an access point, I knew what I had to do. Why would you connect your washing machine? I'll give you two good reasons, and it's the same set of principles for the barbecue thermometer. Uh, One of them is that there are events that happen in the washing machine that are useful to know when you may not be near the washing machine. For example, when the washing machine is finished, it's kind of handy when you're upstairs doing some work and the thing can pop up and tell you the washing machine is done. Uh, That is kind of useful. Now, I've subsequently tied that into uh, all of my home assistant and the home automation, so it's literally like the Sonos there on the back shelf will speak and say the washing machine just finished and the alerts on the phone and everything. It it is actually really, really cool. The second thing is, is that as a human input device, washing machines are absolute crap. So have you ever tried to use the buttons in this? It's terrible interacting with the UI of a washing machine. A mobile app, however, can be really good. Uh, a good example of this is that uh, for things like when the drum needs to be cleaned, you, know, you can see that in the mobile app much easier than what you can in the UI somewhere on the washing machine. As it relates to the smart thermometer, Same two set of principles. It's really useful to be able to get notifications to the phone. Now, for example, uh, when the meat reaches a preset temp. So I say, okay, I want it to be medium rare. I would like to know when it's medium rare. Now, you could always set that directly on the unit itself, and the unit will beep when it gets that temp. But it's also very handy to be able to, like, again, be up here in the office, and suddenly the phone's like, yep, meat's done. Okay, cool. Now I can go back downstairs and take it to the oven. I don't know exactly how long it's going to be. It's just when it gets to temp. And then the other thing, same argument again, it's a much better human input device than the actual unit itself. So being able to pick the phone up and just go through and go, yeah, look, I want that meter like, I think it was 55 Celsius internal. Much easier to do that on the phone than on the device. In fact, I don't even think you can do that on this device. So I found both those things really cool. I haven't tied it into Home Assistant yet. I, I had a very cursory Google and people were talking about some very, very hacky ways of making it happen. I was like, uh, in the list of things I have to do, especially post-holiday and pre-wedding, <laughs> when there's all this other stuff on, I don't think I need to be connecting the thermometer to the to the home assistant just yet. Okay. What's here in the comments? Um, Australia says, sound like something James Bond would do with his kid. It might be... Uh, Air takes? Oh, no, I've moved on from that. <laughs> um, 
Oh, cast iron. Yes. Oh, thank you, Josh. It was a cast iron pan. So, yes, I've got a, a Lichester cast iron pan, uh, which, which is great. Now, Lance says meter temperature probes for the wind. Now, I had had meter. So this is M-E-A-T-E-R, meter. I'd had them open in my, my tabs some time ago. Uh, and I'd thought that that sounded like a fanciful idea. <laughs> nice word. Fanciful idea for a while. But they're bloody expensive. Like, they are really, really expensive. Like, I think it ended up... Was it similar to this? <laughs> Actually, if we wanted four probes, it'd end up a lot more than this. So they were very, very pricey. But that, they did look super, super, super cool. But I felt like I kept seeing it spammed so much in, uh, in the ads on Facebook and so on. And the pricing, I just... Yeah. But uh, interesting to hear. Lee says, I love knowing my washing machine is complete, especially when working from home. Now, I, I, I say this as though it's somehow a useful thing, knowing when your washing machine is complete. But I, I will admit we do have someone help us with many of the home logistical duties. And whilst I probably do a lot more of the cooking around meat and things, Charlotte does a lot more of the washing. I, I think me knowing when the washing machine is finished is actually kind of useless. But it's connected and it's cool. Anyway, <laughs> Stratus says, you're away on a trip. No one is home and your barbecue tells you it's getting hot. Yeah, well, yeah, you'd wonder, wouldn't you? Actually, one of the things I learned, and this probably isn't a surprise, but I've learned that the temperature in my oven is ridiculously inaccurate. So I wonder how many times now I've cooked food and it's been completely the wrong temp. But I also wonder, just having used this now, it's like all the times I've cooked food and you pulled that pork out and it was still a little bit pink in the middle. Why didn't I have one of these? No, I feel like this has been missing in my life. Brian says, I'm planning to add an ESP32 module to my washing machine to update Home Assistant of the current part of the wash cycle using an energy meter now to tell me when it's finished washing. Uh, that that sounds feasible. What, what I have done close to that, let's say for the dishwasher, which is not smart, is I have had a... Uh, oh, can't remember the brand. It's just a power meter, a socket, you know. So literally, the plug goes into here, and then that goes into the into the wall, and it can tell you how much power is being used. And I just ran it enough through enough cycles and looked at the power usage to know a certain amount of time after the power usage goes down to zero. That's when the dishwasher says it's done because it lets stuff uh, cool down for a bit as well. But that's another case where it's like I do actually like the idea of having connectivity there, and I, I know it hearing Miko in the back of my head I know it introduces vulnerabilities and there's risks and things there but I do see good upside we would like to at some stage uh, build a new kitchen it is one part of the house which is old compared to everything else and, and that's the sort of thing that I'd like to see there oh, I've got so many good ideas <laughs> connected stuff I'd like to do in the kitchen uh, Tuck in Oz 2 says, do you use Home Assistant for your IoT? Yes, Google me and Home Assistant and you'll find a gazillion things there. Um, Trev says, those power monitoring plugs are pretty hand handy. Uh, yeah, they, they are pretty handy. I was actually thinking of I, one of the things I want to measure. Uh, I jumped in the pool a few days ago. I went for, for a bike ride because <laughs> I'm just throwing myself at the exercise since I got back to try and... Uh, Try and put the the lasting memory of the holiday behind us. There was an extra couple of kg when I got back. Went for a bike ride. It's winter, so it's not too hot. But I came home, I was warm. Jumped in the pool. It was 19 degrees Celsius. No, well, mind you, 19 degrees Celsius, middle of winter, doesn't seem so bad. But it was very, very chilly. I thought, I'd really, really like to be able to measure that. And I can't at the moment. But 
we have uh, we have an external solar heating unit which does measure the temp of the pool. It's already got probes in there, and when the pool's a certain temp compared to the roof being a certain temp, then it pumps water up on the roof through the black pipes and does the solar heating thing and pumps into the pool. I'd like to have all that data, and I did think for a moment, if nothing else, at least I can monitor the power on the pump that's used for the solar so I know when it's on or off. It doesn't tell me the actual temp, but it gives me something. Joel says Apple's Android app is called Tracker Detect. What a weird name for an app. Well, then again, I guess it does what the name sounds like, right? So Kim's excited. Kim has made it live. Welcome. Josh says my washer and dryer can talk over Wi-Fi to pick the most efficient drying cycle for the type of wash I've done, which in theory can save energy and money. That's pretty cool. I wonder also if you if you're not in a rush, can you do it like schedule it to do like off-peak washing? Like can it see when the power's cheaper? That'd be interesting. It's one of the things I'd like to do actually is is actually get some solar, um, like photovoltaic solar here, not just like to heat the water in the pool. Now we have so much sunshine here uh, and my electricity bill is so shocking because of the amount of, well, because of the amount of stuff connected, server, quasi-server room, we both work from home, we run the aircon a lot. Yeah, that'd be nice. It's on the list. Jamie says, what are your thoughts on BMW and probably other car brands sassifying cars with monthly payments for things like heated seats? Now I've seen this continually pop up on my Facebook timeline news stories about this and it has reminded me how much i enjoy not having a bmw <laughs> so for those of you not aware of the background bmw has just started offering a service which i think is about 10 pounds a month in the uk to enable the heated seats and also the heated steering wheel in your bmw <clears throat> I'd like to see them offer a service to make the indicators on BMWs work. I think that would be a really good good feature as well. Uh, now, I find this fascinating because obviously what it means is that the hardware to heat the seats or the steering wheel is already in there. And all you're doing is you're paying for them to, I guess, like remote unlock the circuit, which allows you to turn it on. It. Um, what are my thoughts? It, don't know where to begin on that so i guess first of all when you go to buy the bmw do you know that this is in there like do you know that the capability is there and you might just have to pay money later on to turn it on and when you if, if you did do you go in there and the salesperson's like you know here's the bmw there's two, two options the bmw this is the cheaper one because it has no heated seats or heated steering wheel uh this is the one that's more expensive like does it have to be sas it's a little bit like the old days of you buying Microsoft Office versus like a Microsoft 365 <laughs> subscription or something. And, you know, are, are people going in there and consciously paying less to not have heated seats and heated steering wheel? Uh, it's just maybe this will be a completely normal thing in years to come, but at the moment it just sounds super, super weird. And see, now Scott's here, and he was the first person I saw, thought of <laughs> when I saw the heated things, the heated seats and the heated steering wheels, so I was like, I wonder if Scott's going to be like paying the premium to turn on his um, his seats and his steering wheel. It'll be interesting. We'll see if that becomes a normal thing or not. Um, my gut feel is that it feels a little bit icky, but probably in the same way that people felt a little bit icky when things like software went from you know purchase off the shelf and get your CD-ROM and chuck it in your computer to subscription. 
Scott says buying a second-hand car would be cool because the person before you can buy a cheaper car and then you can upgrade it. And then, of course, it, it begs the question that this is a software update and people like Scott and myself have for many, many years been modifying the software on things like ECUs to make the car go faster. Uh, so is this something which might be, might be hackable? Um, probably doesn't matter if it is or if it isn't because the vast majority of consumers are just going to pay the 10 quid a month or something like that if they want to have the heated seat. But it would be interesting to know if you can just do like an ECU reflash uh, and now suddenly not only does my car have more power, but it's warmer. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? As Scott's mentioned, the Tesla's been doing it for a while. So, yeah, I'm, I'm conscious that, that, uh, that Tesla certainly has that, um, has that ability and, you know, maybe that's, the, maybe that's the way of the future. Now, back here on Brian's comment, he said, I've just got upgraded my PV solar, which I assume is photovoltaic solar array, and I'm using the washing machine when the sun power is available. It's taking a lot off the electric bill. Uh, Home Assistant and one of the recent releases added a whole heap of stuff for monitoring your, your solar implementation in terms of how much it's drawing inevitably off the roof, how much it's pumping back into the grid. It seems like a nice addition to the... Uh, to the home automation. I'm sure that'll be there at some time on my to-do list, but I've got a long list. I've got a really long list. Brian says, will BM, BMQ brick the car, BMW brick the car, if you bypass the heating controllers and manually power the heated seats? As soon as I said that, I was thinking about recently there was discussion about whether Tesla should be bricking cars in Russia. And I... I I think I got in trouble online. I know. <laughs> I got in trouble because I sort of said, look, this, I think this would be a terrible, terrible idea, not because I have any support for Russia, but because if we set this precedent where someone can go and buy a vehicle and for no other reasons other than geopolitical, someone else can now kill your very expensive purchase, that's terrible. Also, how many other parts of the world buying American cars such as Tesla would now start to wonder, uh, yeah, what if you're... Oh, pick something random. What if you're in Chile? I think Chile's cool with Americans, but, you know, what if there's a little bit of... We're just not sure about the future. We'll make it a little bit a little bit more relevant to current geopolitics. What if you're in China? I don't know how many Chinese people are buying or how many people in China are buying American cars, but would you worry about that? Uh, yeah, you just think about all the parts of the world where you're like, well, what if things are just a little bit dicey? Can I trust this country? Do it the other way. Um, I saw something the other day. There's a Chinese um, EV manufacturer apparently making more EVs now than, than Tesla. Would you buy one of those? Yeah, there's a lot of news here in Australia at the moment about um, political tensions and South Pacific stuff between China and Australia. If we start seeing a precedent of countries literally blocking, bricking your car because of geopolitics, how many people here would start to go, yeah, maybe, maybe I don't really want to buy that Chinese car that they can remotely brick. Ah, it, it, it just feels like a very uncomfortable precedent. Uh, Scott says also heated seats are just 12 volt. <laughs> just shove some volts into it and no software can stop you. But again, I think it's one of these things where it doesn't it doesn't have to be foolproof for everyone because enough people are going to pay for it anyway. Tuscanos 2, what are your opinions on game companies using games as a service and turning them off when they become unprofitable 
or they don't want to support it anymore. I mean, we've sort of had this for ages as well. I'm sure some of the games I bought many, many years ago via the likes of Steam were subscription-based. Look, I think if we just look at software in general, there's a couple of different metrics. If we think about things like the Microsoft Office and the Windows and so on of the world, uh, it, it was always a big capital expense. It was always a big outlay in one go, whether you're a corporation or an individual. Uh, particularly if you're a corporation, capital expenditure versus things that are their ongoing expenses were dealt with very differently. And there was a lot of incentive to move away from these big monolithic costs into smaller components. Most people who buy a house will borrow the money uh, because they don't want to whack down all that cash in one go. Usually they don't have all that cash in one go, but they want to spread it out over a longer period of time. The, the other thing is, is that I really like the idea of at least software as a service in terms of the, the pricing model, getting you continual updates. Uh, there is lots of software now that I run as a service that I, I wouldn't have probably even five years ago, definitely all the Microsoft 365 stuff, uh, Adobe Creative Cloud, even Fusion 365, which I've got open here because I was just building some stuff the other day. Uh, yeah, that is all a subscription as a service, which is a, a much more palatable amount of money in small bites to me than having great big monolithic uh, costs in one go. And look, I'm pretty much the same with games. Uh, obviously, there are things, I forget what Microsoft calls it, but on the Xbox, you can buy like a game service where you pay X number of dollars per month and you get access to a whole bunch of different games. Uh, we're all listening to the likes of Spotify now where you, you pay your 10 bucks a month or whatever it is and you just listen to music until you stop paying and you never own it. That is definitely the way of the future in terms of the, the price palatability for individuals. But also all these organizations want to have this ongoing cash flow. You know, just, just selling an album and that's it is a very different story to getting your 10 bucks every month. So I'm, I'm quite okay with that. I can see all the different angles. I think I can see all the different angles to it. Personally, I think it's cool. Tuscanos 2 says, John Deere bricked tractors. Uh, Bricked tractors, stone and stone and Russian stolen brush. John Deere has had a a fickle <laughs> history around things like right to repair. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if there was a little bit of weird stuff going on there. Scott's trying the status stratus here. You can still just pay the four hundred pounds and have heated seats. Subscription is optional. And I guess that's that's a bit of the, the difference if you're paying BMW a subscription versus if you're paying Adobe a subscription for Creative Cloud. Uh, I'll pay my hundreds of dollars a year for Creative Cloud and I know it will continue to get better because of the upgrade path. If you pay BMW, it's, it's not like, you know, hey, we're pushing an update to your seats. They're going to be warmer now, you know, or they're going to massage your butt or something like that. It's, it's basically just a static thing that you're really to scott's point here instead of paying the 400 quid for them you're just paying the subscription and i think the bit we feel a bit irky about is inevitably we would have traditionally thought that the 400 quid was to install the heating units in the seat because it's hardware it is a physical thing that you have to pay for what we're hearing now is well you get it anyway but you can't use it unless you then pay this subscription which i think is interesting Trade stress, if that's what worries me, uh, that can be remoted. Do you want what you buy? Uh, I mean, we're definitely going to the point where a lot more stuff can be remoted. I saw another story just today, partly related, where uh, Lexus owners are just not wanting to pay for the upgraded maps. And this has been a problem since ever we've had GPS in cars. 
You know, you, it ships from the manufacturer and it's like, here's your maps. And three years later, there's all these new roads and stuff like that. And they're like, that would be another $500 to update that. And now, and that's what the story is about, people are going, screw you, man. Like, I'm just going to plug my iPhone in. I've got CarPlay and then I've got Google Maps, which are always up to date and much better than the OEM mapping system anyway. Kim says, Xbox Game Pass. Thanks, Kim. That's the one. I think I'm paying for that. <laughs> I might be paying for that. I don't know. But, yeah, that's, uh, that's a good example. Jamie says, do you get an extra support or anything if you pay for the subscription? Or if it broke, you'll have to pay up as usual. It's a weird thing. Trady Trivia is a service mate for work. It basically charges out how many jobs you do. The software is handy and I wouldn't go back. And I suspect that's probably a subscription style thing. Even the, the accounting software I use is subscription based. Um, so many of the, the things I use are subscription based now. And I'm, I'm happy with that. I don't know if it will fundamentally change again in the future, but it's definitely very different now to what it was five and certainly ten years ago. Trady Treasures wouldn't pay a subscription to access my Aussie standards, however. It should be included in our trading licenses. Yeah, and look, I guess we have... I think that like the social norms just change. So over time, there are things that we wouldn't have been accepting of, and then it becomes normal, and then we're like, yeah, well, of course we pay to have our seats heated. And then it moves on to something else. So maybe it will just become the norm. Kim says, Microsoft 365 family, $165. Uh, Xbox Game Pass, me, plus two kids, three. And I guess there's a thing. When, you, when you're Microsoft, right, you can bundle the gaming and everything else together. I like the fact that we can do things like with Spotify. Like I've got, I've got the family one and I pay one fee and then Charlotte has a different account to me, to our, to Alan, everyone's got their own things. And so long as... For some reason, I keep getting like whale sounds on my Spotify because Elle's been playing that via her Amazon Echo on her desk, which is signed in under my account, which doesn't... Anyway, I don't want to listen to whale sounds on my Spotify. It's getting better. I think the world is getting better. Where We have these concepts like family, single price, split out, different users, different accounts. Scott says BMW map system's been pwned for years. I recently updated mine again for free because it uh, it feeds the speed limit info in the dash. So every now and then when we're away on this trip just now, a big driving trip, I would um, flip over to the native maps on the Mercedes, which is a 2018 car, so fairly recent. And, geez, it feels crusty. Part of the reason it feels so crusty is I don't have a touchscreen. Next generation, well, next minor model update of my car does this one doesn't and it sucks okay folks for something that i thought was going to be pretty brief today in terms of what was actually happening during the week uh, that turned out to be a lot longer i'm going to sign off there i'm still going to be home next week i think i'll try and do this earlier in the day then uh, and i'm sure there'll be more data breaches and connected things by then and if anyone has any more experience paying bmw to heat their backsides in their hands. I'd love to, to hear about it. That might just be the way of the future. Thanks for watching. See you later.